Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Meet Jane Dudley. I'm 40 years old and I live in the middle of nowhere in a tiny little rural town in Australia called Kulatai. These days, she spends a lot of her time gardening and making her own yogurt. But a decade ago, she says the life she's living now didn't seem possible. Starting from about age 16, she says she experienced debilitating symptoms of mental illness. She says she would spend most of her year feeling depressed, interspersed with manic behavior. Mood-stabilizing medications like lithium only kind of worked for her. Around age 30, she was diagnosed with bipolar 1, the most severe form of the disorder. She says she couldn't hold down a job and was living on disability. There are millions of people who have bipolar disorder, who live functional lives where they can work and raise families, etc. I was not one of those people. So the medications barely stopped me being suicidal, but provided absolutely no quality of life. I was disabled. Then, sometime in 2016, her husband was poking around online and came across a study that changed what she thought a mental health treatment could look like. So in this study, when fecal samples from depressed humans were placed in the gut of test-subject rats, the rats started showing symptoms of depression. In case you're curious, rats show they're depressed by avoiding open spaces and being less interested in things that usually make them happy. Reading the study, Jane was intrigued. At that point, I had never heard of the link between the gut microbiome and mental illness at all. So it was completely left field for me. She gave herself a fecal microbial transplant, or FMT. Usually, this is a medical procedure done by a doctor in which a fecal sample, okay, it's poop, from a healthy volunteer is implanted into a patient's digestive tract, or gut. If you think it's gross, so did Jane. And let's be clear, it was also incredibly dangerous to try on her own. Like, do not try this at home. But Jane says she was desperate. Before this, she was talking about how to end her life because of her bipolar disorder. It just terrified me that I could possibly live another 50 years with this illness that I've barely been able to live with. So I thought, I've got nothing to lose. This was a huge risk. FMT hasn't been approved to treat mental illness in humans, so there was no guarantee it would work the way she wanted it to. In fact, since the gut microbiome contains helpful and potentially harmful bacteria, Jane was risking contracting an infection or a chronic condition like inflammatory bowel disease. She could have even died. Her psychiatrist says he warned her about the risks of going off her psychotropic medications and agreed to monitor her. But Jane says she got incredibly lucky. One day, and I'll never forget this day, I woke up and I just was confused by this feeling of, do I feel okay? I'm not depressed. I had never experienced that feeling since I was a child where I just woke up and I felt okay. Like I wasn't ecstatic. It was just I wasn't depressed and I was able to get out of bed and I, felt, I was like, is this, is this what being well feels like? By 2020, when her doctor published a case study about her in the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Psychiatry, Jane says she had been mostly free of symptoms of bipolar disorder for three years. 
Jane is one of a handful of people whose mental illness seems to have been treated with changes to their gut microbiome. We don't know yet how typical they are, but scientists are working on it. Testing is currently underway to evaluate potential treatments from diet to probiotics to, yes, FMT, and their impact on mental health conditions like depression, anxiety, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Though some early results seem promising, and there's a lot of buzz on social media, scientists still have some big questions. Like, what kind of intervention works best? What conditions do they treat? And are changes in the gut actually changing the brain? Or is something else going on? Sargis Mesmanian is a microbiology professor at the California Institute of Technology and studies how the brain and gut are connected. He says that right now, this scarcity of results is the biggest barrier to creating an effective treatment. We're still at that stage where we have enticing glimpses that microbiome-based therapies are going to work for neuropsychiatric conditions, but we don't have the bulletproof evidence that indeed they do and that they're viable drugs. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osula. Today we're jumping into the world of psychobiotics, a new field looking to treat mental illness via a patient's gut. But before scientists can create something that can help patients, they'll have to confront some long-standing mysteries of our own biology. Stay tuned. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Microbes aren't just all around us. They also are us. And what we're talking about here is the gut microbiome. So these are the trillions of bacteria that are living in our GI tract. While the average human body is made of an estimated 30 trillion of its own cells, it's also got 39 trillion microbes living in and on it. Most of these bacteria, fungi, and viruses are in your gastrointestinal tract. They do a lot of important things there, like help break down the food we eat as it moves through our digestive system. A person's gut microbiome starts the moment they're born. And Valerie Taylor, the head of the psychiatry department at the University of Calgary in Canada, notes it can keep changing later in life. There's lots of things that can impact your gut microbiome if you drink coffee, if you smoke, if you're a um, vegetarian or a vegan versus somebody who has a very keto diet. Lots of things can impact your gut microbiome. Taylor founded a company to create treatments that would intentionally change the gut microbiome. But more on that later. More and more studies are finding that the gut microbiome plays some sort of role in the body's key functions, like digestion and immune system response. To understand more, I called up Felice Jacka. She's a nutritional psychiatry professor at Deakin University in Australia. She spent her career studying this connection between our mental health and what we eat. Just for context, when I spoke to her via Zoom, she had a big plus choy of the poo emoji in the background at her office. I mean, you're talking about thousands, millions, trillions of microbes, they can all do different things. Then they produce thousands of different molecules. We're only just beginning to be able to track even some of them. And then understanding all the different things that they do. But tracking these things and understanding them is so complex that I don't think we've got a great understanding yet. One way scientists have gotten some answers is by sequencing the DNA of microbes in a fecal sample. 
That technique has shown that in people with conditions like type 2 diabetes, ulcerative colitis, and colorectal cancer, the gut microbiome has a different makeup from healthy people's. But so far, most of these studies are only yielding correlations. They can't say whether a particular makeup in the gut is causing these diseases. Researchers and clinicians have long suspected that the gut was involved in mental health, too. But that idea took a while to catch on. Ten years ago, when I talked to people at conferences about gut-brain signaling and mental health, I was kind of like John the Baptist in the desert. You know, no one wanted to hear, hear this. But now you can't go to a neuroscience or a psychiatry or even a neurology conference without sessions related to this topic. That's John Cryan, a neuroscience professor at University College Cork in Ireland. He says he first got interested in the gut microbiome in 2005 when he was studying irritable bowel syndrome. I've spent a lot of my career trying to convince people that as a neuroscientist, we should look at something below the neck. So uh, I felt I needed to gain a lot of evidence from animal models to actually support what we're doing. More scientists seem to be coming around to this idea that the gut and the brain are connected. And it's in part because of experiments on animals. Felice Jacka, the nutritional psychiatry professor, points out animal experiments alone can't always predict what will happen with humans. In the field of the microbiota gut-brain axis research, a lot of the studies have come from animals and they do suggest a causal relationship. But of course, people are very different to animals and there haven't been many trials and intervention studies. Human studies that do happen tend to be small, so it can be hard to say if their findings are true for everyone. Still, early human studies in China and the U.S. have shown that specific markers in patients' gut microbiomes have some connection to conditions like anxiety, autism, and Alzheimer's. To be clear, though, these findings are still associations or correlations. Mesmanian, the Caltech microbiologist, started out studying the gut microbiome only to later get interested in its connection to the brain. He says it's not yet clear what role the gut microbiome might be playing in causing these disorders. A lot of the research in humans is still at the level of correlating particular microbiome configurations with a feature, a disease, a symptom, an endpoint of interest. He says to establish any causal relationships, we need more research. To meet the bar of causality, which is very high, right, at the very minimum, we would need interventional studies. The approach to really show that one affects the other is to change one thing and then see if it affects the other. Actually, Masmanian says what would help a lot with establishing that holy grail of causality is understanding how any potential treatment is working in the gut of a patient. What is the therapeutic doing to fix the problem, if you will, always adds more confidence to the clinical outcome. So far, nobody's totally sure what's going on. But scientists and doctors have a couple theories. Gut-brain connection theory number one. The gut makes the chemicals the brain uses. Neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine help send messages within the brain and throughout the nervous system. Some scientists suspect that microbes in the gut might be assembling neurotransmitters from food that they or others are breaking down. In fact, scientists have found many of those chemicals in the gut, but they still don't know if or how they're making their way to the brain. Okay, theory number two, the connection is the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the longest nerve that starts in the brain, branching out to connect it to the lungs, heart, stomach, and small intestine. It's been shown to play a role in mental illness. In fact, there's an FDA-approved device that treats depression by stimulating the vagus nerve. But the relationship between this nerve and the gut is still being understood. 
In 2011, John Cryan, the Irish neuroscientist, published a study linking a particular bacteria to the effects of stress. When he told me about it, he couldn't help but go full dad joke. So this long-wandering nerve is really important for sending signals from our brain to all our organs in our body and from our organs back up to our brain to help us feel how we feel. And we showed in mice that if you cut the vagus nerve, all of the effects of this specific bacteria were gone. So this gave us one hint of a potential mechanism of how microbes in the gut could be sending signals to the brain to influence behavior. And reminds us once again that what happens in Vegas doesn't just stay in Vegas, but will affect our emotions in some way. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. No, it was... <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It caught me by surprise um, in a good way. Whether the vagus nerve is playing a role and exactly how it might be helping the gut and brain communicate still needs a lot more research. For now, how the gut and brain affect one another is still very much a mystery. If researchers solve it, it could help them craft treatments that target particular microbes or conditions. But they're not going to wait until they fully explain the connection to start looking for mental health treatments that work. That's at least in part because there's so much need. Just take depression as an example. Among the hundreds of millions of people worldwide struggling with depression, many never find treatments that work. Felice Jacka says that's partly because scientists are still answering fundamental questions about how these disorders take shape. That hasn't stopped doctors from prescribing medications. And yes, they seem to help some people. But Valerie Taylor, the Canadian psychiatry professor, says that scientists don't know how or why even the most common psychiatric treatments work. Now, from a psychiatric perspective, we don't really have good mechanisms for any of our drugs. Like, I do bipolar disorder. Why does lithium work? We don't know. Lithium's a salt. Why does that help with the treatment of bipolar disorder? Again, we have some really strong hypotheses about things that make sense, but no one really knows for sure. Trying to understand a mechanism before we develop a therapy is not always how it works in the treatment of mental illnesses. Eventually, detangling that relationship between the gut and the brain could help scientists craft targeted interventions. But until then, researchers are still figuring out what works at all. We'll explore the potential treatments they're looking at after the break. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So, there's evidence that what's going on in the gut affects the brain, even if we're not sure how yet. The next logical step, figuring out how to change what's happening in our gut to treat psychiatric conditions. It feels good to eat healthy and to live well. Intervention strategy number one is altering diet. We've been hearing a bit from Felice Jacka, the nutritional psychiatry professor with the plush poo emoji. Turns out her claim to fame in this space is a big 2017 study about the diet's effect on depression. So the SMILES trial was the first trial where we actually said, okay, so can we change people's diets and have an impact on them if they already have depression? So in that trial, we uh, recruited people with moderate to severe clinical major depressive disorder. And 
a lot of these people were very sick and had been very sick for a long time. For three months, 31 participants stuck to a special diet. I call it the old-fashioned medieval peasant diet. And what that looked like was over three months, just individual support, meeting with the dietitian, the dietitian helping them to set goals, to reduce the intake of things like, you know, sweets and fried and fatty foods and ultra-processed foods, and increase uh, plant foods and fish and extra virgin olive oil and legumes like lentils and chickpeas and, you know, the good stuff. The control group got something called social support or befriending, which is basically a buddy to chat with. That's been shown to help some people with depression. And then when we looked at the end of three months, we saw that there was a very dramatic impact of dietary change. And people with even these long-standing illnesses, 30% of them achieved a full remission of their depression. And we saw that there was this really tight link between how much they changed their diet and how much their depression improved. Other researchers have come to similar conclusions. Remember John Cryan, who had studied the vagus nerve? His team recently published a study that found that people with poor diets who ate more fiber-rich and fermented foods for a month felt less stressed. The theory was that fiber-rich foods boost the function of the gut microbiome, and the fermented foods make the microbiome more diverse. But so far, he says, studies like this aren't showing the whole picture. What's missing from the study is really the causal aspect of understanding that it's the chemicals made by the microbes that are actually attenuating the stress response. What we don't know also is, is it the fiber or is it the fermented food or is it the combination of both? Another thing researchers don't know yet, whether a change in diet could treat other disorders or more severe or treatment-resistant forms of depression. In relation to a psychobiotic diet and other neuropsychiatric disorders, we just don't have enough data yet. Of course, everything I say is always caveated by that. On to intervention number two, probiotics. Talking about probiotics, because mm -hmm. you see they're on the grocery shelves. They're oh. everywhere now. Everything is supplemented, it seems, with probiotics. Probiotics are lab bacteria added to the gut to improve a person's health. People take them for conditions ranging from digestive issues to allergies. Some studies suggest that probiotics could treat the symptoms of psychiatric disorders by introducing certain kinds of bacteria thought to be beneficial. But guidelines about how often to take probiotics and for what conditions are murky. In the U.S., a lot of probiotics are sold as supplements, so the FDA doesn't regulate how effective they are before they hit stores. They may be great, they may be useless, and John Cryan says there's no way to know when you're grabbing a bottle off the shelf. And most of these probiotics that are available in health food stores and drugstores across the world, but especially in, in North America, have never been subjected to clinical trials. In my world, they're potential probiotics. What the field needs to do is get much more precision-oriented and really understanding why a strain of bacteria X alone or in combination with another, other strains is having beneficial effects. What we're doing right now in probiotic world is, is trying to develop a really mechanistic basis about why specific strains will have potential beneficial effects. And that's really important. There's also prebiotics, supplements that feed the good bacteria in the gut. But Sarkis Masmanian, the Caltech microbiologist, says you can't just feed them willy-nilly. A prebiotic is usually a fiber or some other dietary supplement that fosters the growth of particular organisms. You'd still need to know what your target organism is. What is the organism that you'd like to bloom? There's early evidence that prebiotics could reduce symptoms of some psychiatric disorders like depression and anxiety. But there's a lot more research needed before scientists know what prebiotics work and how well. 
All right, intervention number three, the fecal microbial transplant, or FMT. That's right, a fecal transplant. It's like a heart transplant, but poop. Remember Jane from the top of the episode? This is what she did, albeit in a very dangerous DIY kind of way. FMT is by far the most drastic of these interventions. It's like an extreme microbiome makeover. Researchers say FMT may one day treat conditions like obesity and Crohn's disease, but the procedure was only approved by the FDA in late 2022 as a treatment for recurrent infections from C. diff. That's a bacteria that can cause inflammation and severe diarrhea and can even be life-threatening. It's the first time FMT has gotten this kind of approval. And Masmanian says that's a big deal for the entire field. To me, this is a huge advance for the microbiome because for the first time ever, we now show that there are wins in the clinic, success in the clinic that led to FDA approval. FMT's big wins in treating C. diff have yet to be confirmed for any psychiatric conditions. But preliminary studies in animals and in small groups of humans suggest that FMT may help treat depression and anxiety. Valerie Taylor, the psychiatry professor at the University of Calgary, is one of the researchers working on this. I think we're one of the only groups doing a fecal transplant to treat mental illness. And so we've completed a trial on bipolar disorder, and now we have trials ongoing for depression and OCD. Nothing's been published yet, though Taylor says her team is hoping to do so later this year. All this research into diet, probiotics, and FMT is being done in the hope that one of these interventions could make its way into doctors' offices where they can actually help patients. Let's say it's 30 years from now, 2053. I go to see my doctor because I've been feeling kind of anxious. The first thing she might choose to do is sequence my gut microbiome, the way I might get a blood test today. Actually, John Cryan thinks this part might happen a lot sooner. And I would think within the next three to five years, we could be able to get targeted microbial advice to say, you know what, your microbes six months ago were a lot better, your mood was a lot better, maybe we need to do something here. And maybe if you take this medication, it may not be good for your microbiome, maybe we should try that one because that has less effects on your microbiome. Okay, my doctors looked at my results and weeded out treatments that would harm my microbiome. What she prescribes me might be a pill of special microbes. That's what Valerie Taylor's company, Tailored Biotherapeutics, is working to make. She says her company hopes to file its first patents and even start clinical trials on its drugs by the end of 2023. We would be looking at something that is not just kind of an over-the-counter supplement, but is actually a prescription medicine for a bacterial combination that is packaged that has been shown to be effective in depression. And you would try that just like you would... In the past, try Prozac, for example. And Felice Jacka, the Australian nutritional psychiatrist, notes that a diet could be part of that prescription to keep the microbiome happy over time. So in 30 years' time, I think what we'll have is a combination treatment. It'll be the most important bits of the gut microbiota, and that may include things beyond bacteria. It will be dietary change to support that, and that may well include fermented foods as well. So that's what I think the treatment will look like, and then it will be very much, too, about avoiding things that we know are going to be unhelpful for the gut, such as certain types of antibiotics. There's a chance that this kind of setup could help patients in the future. But for now, there's no guarantee it'll happen. Scientists like John Cryan in Ireland, the one with the dad joke about the vagus nerve, he has a lot more questions about how the gut microbiome interacts with other factors, like our genes, to produce a disorder. 
how much does our genes influence our microbes? And there's a lot of focus on that interaction. And it's still quite contentious. Maybe it's what microbes you have in combination with what genes you have that give you a specific, what we call a phenotype or a specific uh, susceptibility to a condition, whether it's um, mental health or neurological or other. He says scientists also want to know how the gut microbiome is connected to other diseases, including neurodegenerative conditions like Parkinson's. I think we're a bit off yet. We need more data. We need to understand this a lot better. But I think it will form part of our bigger understanding about environmental and lifestyle causes of these very difficult-to-treat disorders. But for all the buzz out there, the science is far from decided. Each study yields insights that could help scientists discover new treatments. Researchers like Sarkis Masmanian don't want to overpromise what psychobiotics can do, but they're cautiously optimistic. I see a lot of publications where you know, they make it seem like we've solved all of humanity's biological problems by studying the microbiome, and we certainly have not, right? And we may not, you know, the system may just simply not work that way. But again, I think there's a lot of hope in the fact that we're going to improve quality of life for a lot of people over the next decade or so. For patients like Jane Dudley, who risked her life to treat her mental health through her gut, quality of life can make all the difference. I was diagnosed with an incurable mental illness that like almost killed me or would have killed me. It's a miraculous story that I was like wanting to shout from the rooftops, hey guys, look at your gut health. <laughs> The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Alex Osula. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton and Michael Laval are our sound designers. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Editorial support was provided by Alan Haberchak. Like the show? Tell your friends. And leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. 